Hello everyone, um, I am John Clay. As per usual, I'm doing a video with Diana from Ruhex and Murtos. How are you doing, Diana? Hey, John, I'm good. How are you? Awesome. Um, I, I'm all right. There's a very difficult subject that we're going to talk about in uh, this latest episode of Rantbox. So I wanted to talk about European beauty standards. Um, very, what? maybe like say seven, eight years ago, some time, time, time ago, I was doing fundraising and I, street fundraising, and I came across this woman who was on a bike um, and I didn't know um, in that time who would have known that she had become a great uh, actor and star. Um, her name is Michaela Cole. Um, she was handing out leaflets for her, at that time it was a play called Chewing Gum. Um, and it's now become a show on Netflix. Um, she's fantastic. She, at the time, was really just going for it, uh, and I'm just so happy to see that she did so well, and I remember us trying to talk about her play, even though at the same time, in my mind, I was trying to get her invested in this charity that I was working for. Um, fast forward into a couple days ago, where I just thought I would check out an interview that she did um, for Channel 4, um, and from what I remember, I think this video actually came out a year ago, but I saw it a few days ago. And the comments were, were intensely fixated on her face. Um, she's saying all these really powerful things in this video. She's talked about how she had to sleep in the car for a while, how she'd been a cleaner, um, all the different things that she'd gone through regarding the Christian church that she was once in and decided to leave um, because they just... They didn't understand her acceptance of um, homosexuality. And in the comments, you'd think that there'd be a lot more comments about who she is and what she's saying. But I kid you not, there's like a, a the first comment is 6,004 likes. Um, and it the comment was um, her face had an immaculate bone structure, something like that. And don't get me wrong, it's it's good that people can say this is a beautiful black woman. But the 184 comments underneath that were, were divisive. They were talking about if she was attractive or not. Um, and That's it's so gross. It's, it's so odd. And there was even like people talked about how she may or may not have had a nose job. Um, so this brings me to our topic today about European beauty standards. What is beautiful? What really truly works for the, the engine of capitalism when it comes to someone who looks like her or looks like me? Um, and why do we put these things on such a, a high um, platform? It's, it's baffling to me that we, that we have to funnel ourselves into an idea of um, apparent attractiveness, which is often dominated by those who have colonized um, the world and said, this is beautiful. This Greek statue is beautiful. Um, but that's my opening salvo. How do you feel about any of this? Yeah, you know, that really, that really resonates. And I love this topic. So, you know, obviously my experience of this is different because as a mixed race person and I have a lot of, you know, Northern European whatnot. So I benefit from a lot of the colonial beauty standards, which is to me just so gross. Like, I don't agree with it. But um, I've seen it particularly with my mother. So, for example, my mom is Mexican, um, 100%. And she looks very, very Aztec, I would say. You know, Aztec, 
uh, we don't know exactly what our indigenous heritage is um, because we were <laughs> everyone was forced to hide their their practices because otherwise they would literally get murdered. They did horrible, horrible things to the native people. But you know, my I I grew up knowing that my mother thought she was ugly, and the first thing she this is the one of the first stories I remember about <laughs> her telling me about when we were born. She said when me and my sister were born, instead of counting that we had 10 fingers and 10 toes like people normally do she checked to see that we didn't have her nose her beautiful aztec nose which is much larger than mine much larger than my dad's but she hated it and i think that all of her experiences of racism of looking different and all of that really made her hate her appearance and it's so so sad and so funny because actually i wish i have her i wish i would have her nose i think she's beautiful you know um so, so just that, I, um, I think it's, it's something very sad that cuts off the beauty from the diversity that we have. And yeah. I want my mom to think she's beautiful. You know, what a sad thing to grow up with. So that's yeah. kind of my experience of it. What, what about well, you personally? Um, I mean, well, I could that... definitely relate to what your mother has obviously taken on board as something that holds her back. Um, not too long ago, um, I was in a relationship where I would never really truly believe that the person I was seeing was truly into how I looked because of my conditioning. You know, I mean, I'm an 80s kid, you know, that's when I was young. Um, obviously, I, I mean, well, not obviously, but for some people who can do the math, being 43 this year means that in the 90s, I was also a teenager. And I think there was a very different beauty standard. However, if you go forward into, like, say, the early 2000s, um, when the person I was seeing was in her formative years, she was introduced to MTV Base, right? There was a whole explosion of black culture that celebrated the way people like me looked, whether it be through a hip-hop video or whatever. And I never got to experience that alongside this person. Um, and so that was always a huge issue with us um, in terms of me accepting that kind of love and that attention. Um, because, yeah, like I, I remember being, um, I mean, the word bully maybe sounds too harsh to me now because the people that would take um, umbrage with the size of my nose, I'd always count as his friends as well. You know, I was in a very strange place in school where I could hang out with the geeks and also hang out with those who were the most popular. And those who were the most popular would occasionally uh, reference that um, to a point where um, even now I'm very um, much into the idea of having like a profile as I'm talking to you. I'm not too comfortable talking this way. And that's ridiculous, especially now because I haven't been able to shave. The, fr the framing of my face is probably a little bit more forgiving to the size of my nose, let alone when I take my glasses off. Um, but yeah, this, it's a topic that I think is important that we have because um, not so long ago, a, a good friend of mine, um, Nathan, the producer, was saying, why do people feel the need to talk about some of these sensitive things online? What do they get out of it? Um, but I would like to think um, that if someone else had these ideas about themselves, which are distorted and go through a, a very horrible um, dark prism of, of, uh, of, of disbelief, really, um, or unbelief. I'm not sure what the, the right terminology would be. It's, it's a tough subject for me. But if someone else were talking about this online, then maybe I would feel less um, alone, you know?
Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, these things need to be articulated completely because um, otherwise we end up thinking that we're the only ones with these experiences and that makes it, that compounds how difficult it is. So, um, yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's, it's interesting how, you know, you say that I never have even given a second thought to your nose, but obviously it's a very different experiencing inhabiting your own body and how people react to it and, and all of that, yeah. how that's built up over the years. So, I mean, I think for me, the thing that has always um, been my bugbear is I'm extremely short. <laughs> Thank you, Mexican jeans. <laughs> always the shortest one whenever they arrange just by height. Always, always the one at the, the, the end wow. of the queue. So, You're I mean. You're so right about that. I've, I've never thought about you as being short in a negative way. It's just, it's I was, ridiculous. I was called midget at school. That was fun. Wow. So, I mean, it's, it's not the end of the world, but yeah, there's always something people will find a difference and then pick on that. Um, and even more when it's something that is, um, is very obvious, you know, and yeah. 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 I think the, um, the other end of the scale is that you can be, or I have been fetishized before because of me being a certain way. Um, and even though that may be something that I have played up to because I thought, yay, I've, I've now got something that I can say about myself that makes me valuable. What is it in the capitalist machine that's made that um, attribute or apparent attribute um, uh, of worth? And ultimately it, it comes from a very negative place that the, the, the black person is um, an animal, the black person is a savage. They've got more rhythm because they are more base, you know, they are more well endowed because they are more animal. These things are not in any way um, a representative of who I am, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I wish I did some, a bit more research before the program. It's been ages since um, I've checked it out, but there was this, um, uh, kind of pseudo kind of scientific research carried out by this doctor in the 1600s and he would measure the um the genitalia of black people around the continent of africa um and it was his pseudo research that funneled this urban myth um and yeah whether it's true or not in every other case what's it like for people who don't who can't subscribe to that do they feel lesser you know mm -hmm. um and that's a horrible thing to go through, I think, because ultimately, if, if they are that um, uh, way of being, I, I feel like I'm talking in code here, when this, is, this can be an adult program to an extent, but I'm just trying to keep things to a certain extent PC. Um, <laughs> we all know what you're talking about. <laughs> we, all, yeah, we, we all know, we're talking about a phallic moment. Um, but yeah, essentially, I, I don't think people should feel um, is that they've got to fit into something in order to be appreciated. That goes without saying, I guess. But then again, I don't see many videos like ours. Do you know what I mean? So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm really glad you mentioned the fetishization because I wanted to ask you about that as well. Like in terms of how does that feel? Because then do you feel, I mean, I'm just projecting here, so I may be wrong, but do you feel then like you're not appreciated for yourself, but you're appreciated for an ideal that they have that's disconnected Good. from you? Uh, yeah, there is that, and you play up to it, or at least I have, um, because you, you want to be uh, someone's 
um, dream, right? I mean, at some point, and you, you kind of level off and realize you can't be their dream. You have to be a person. But every now and again, I find it's very easy for me to romanticize that element of myself. Um, I was in a, a Zoom call for a book club um, yesterday. Uh, and the book club is the anti-racist book club. And there was a woman there who said that she had to get over her fetishization of black men. And we didn't go to it in detail because it was one of the things she mentioned. I thought, okay, so yeah, it, it's a thing that people feel they have to at least address now and do something about because I don't think people thought this way back when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. or at least it wasn't a propagated belief that it was a negative. Um, it wasn't sold that way to us in the playgrounds. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't sold that way to us when we were having an awkward uh, conversations with our parents. Um, relationships being obviously being quite strange and talking about that kind of thing. I never had that conversation with my parents. I wonder how many other um, black kids never had that conversation with their parents. You know, if I ever uh, bring a child into this world or more likely adopt, I'm going to sit them down at some point. And when I do talk to them about sex education, I'll talk about the sociological aspects of it as well in regards to race. That needs to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how, how has all of this then affected your own choice of partners? Because you've talked about how it's affected people's perception of you. How has, how has it affected your perception of your partners or potential partners? Well, this is tricky. Ultimately, um, sometimes I think I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm quite, uh, when it comes to the superficiality of what someone's look, I can be very picky um, because I think that part of my attraction to someone isn't just what they look like, but what they can say about me, which is horrible when you really think about it. Um, and this is a very recent understanding of myself. Um, it's not something that I was consciously doing. I don't think when I, was, when I was meeting these people, when I wanted to see them again and things would develop and whatnot, um, essentially we're talking about the trophy partner, aren't we? We're saying, look, I have this, so therefore, I am this. That's, um, that's horrible. Um, but it's, it's definitely a form of, um, of uh, what's the word? Not inverted racism, but internalized racism. Mm-hmm. I don't have enough strength within my being and, and fortitude within who I am that I have to find someone else that can prop up my ego. Um, again, there, there's probably a few things like this online and, and there might be a video or two but it's definitely not something that i have found in my travels so i i feel i feel thankful that we can talk about it even though it's maybe it may not be obvious to you or anyone else but it is uh, a difficult thing to work through um, yeah. but i think it's beneficial to get out there it needs to be documented otherwise just it stays in your head um, and even if you can self-heal on your own who knows who out there might want to get in contact and talk about it in a certain way which makes the healing process easier um because right now we're in lockdown i can't see a psychologist <laughs> i can't afford a very good one either um so yeah this this is why i'm talking about this yeah yeah i i um i hope you don't mind me sharing my own experience about this as well Please. like um, um I, I do resonate with that because you know i grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood which was pretty interesting (laughs) we were like the only mexicans uh one of the only mexicans in there and um 
you know, just anyways, the white fragility in there was intense. I got the police called on me for just playing outside and stuff. So it was, it was scary. But one of the things that just you reminded me of speaking there was, you know, I, how we're taught to kind of look down on and fear our own race or our own ethnicity. So because the way everyone else perceived Mexicans was so negative and people said so many horrible things about them, um, then, and also because of lack of avail availability, you know, I never had uh, a Mexican, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend when I was there, you know, all of my potential love interests were always white. And looking back, I question that, you know, why, why was I always interested in, in white people? And it's interesting because one time when I was taken out of that environment, I remember a school trip and we went on a camp trip and this is where you're kind of outside of the school politics. You're mixing with new people and suddenly all of the cliques are broken up and straight away me and this Mexican boy were like, Vroom! you know, when you have this like magnetic attraction and we were like, you know, BFF slash, you know, little middle school crushes for the duration of that trip. And it was like, um, yeah, how much the social pressure kind of forced me away from from being able to even associate with like my people, you know? Sure. Like, sure. you know, you have to just do what you can to survive. And sometimes that means like cutting yourself off, which is really horrible. And in retrospect, like not something that was conscious, but um, I would definitely approach it differently. You know, go, if I could time travel. Do you have like, I don't know, what would you say to that person when you go back and find the other you, you know? person that you were before now? Uh, um, I would, fuck. <laughs> Sorry, I, of the, all the questions I could ask, I, I was thinking, do something. It's deep, it's deep. <laughs> yeah, you know what I would say is, um, is, is find, find your people because you're not alone. Find your people and that's so valuable. It doesn't mean that you cut out everyone else, but you almost need to be nourished at, um, at a well of understanding that sounds so crappy and like fake poetic but you know that I read something recently um, when I was doing my psych degree that was like basically without a shared cultural context it's like you're speaking in a different language it's like you're speaking with no tongue and no one can understand you and so I feel like finding that shared cultural context is an essential part of the human experience we need that we need to be understood and when you're living without that, you're starved in a way. And so that person that I was back then was starved. And so I would, I would um, guide them to, to seek that connection. Okay. Mm -hmm. Have you spoken to your mother about what you first began with in the video in, in terms of her, her insecurity about her face? Oh, um, you know, not like, not like in a massive conversation. I tell her all the time that I think she's beautiful because she is. I love my mom. She's beautiful. And she says, she laughs and she says, Mamita, you're looking at me with the, the unconditional love of a child. <laughs> In other words, like she doesn't believe me. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Oh, I know. No. I think that maybe the, the idea, the legacy of this is to figure out ways how not to pass on that, um, that negativity, right? If I, as I said before, if I ever do have the, the guardianship of a child, uh, I will tell them about my insecurity, but it will be in a way that hopefully frees them up from thinking about it in a way that they have. I mean, I have no idea 
what they'll look like. And I, I, this could be a heavier thing, but how do I react to how they look like based on what you said your mother went through, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Um, as we said off camera, we could easily talk about this subject <laughs> forever. Um, but I have an idea that if we ever feel that there's more to be said about it, and I'm sure there is, we can come back to it in a later video. But I think for now, let's keep this condensed. Um, and I have, I have a, a thing to, to kind of throw out there. What if we um, end the video by suggesting what we'd like to talk about next time as a bit of a hook? <laughs> You guys, we're making this program for you as we speak. Um, does that sound like a good idea? Yeah, yeah, we could yeah. do. I mean, I don't know what we're going to talk about next time. Do you? <laughs> um, I have, I have an idea. I'd like to talk about the weaponization of black voices mm-hmm. by the right in mm-hmm. order to inflict, um, well, uh, malcontent intrudes or ill or, or, or lies about what really is going on regarding BLM. So that's what I'd like to talk about. Yes, brilliant. Something to look forward to. Very, very important. Yeah. yeah. And if you want, um, you don't necessarily have to say what you're going to talk about because the tradition that we're starting up will be in the next video, you say what you're going to talk about next time. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Fair trade. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you, Deanna, for your time and thank you, everyone else, for watching. Um, you can find more of these videos, I guess, on our timelines for now, or if you go to Public Pressure, there should be quite a few videos there already uploaded. So, yeah. Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> bye.